we just love you. We just absolutely love and adore you. And we want nothing more than to get to know you better. We just want your presence. We'll just come and open hearts, come and touch hearts. Come and quiet this nervous heart. So very good. Wow, thank you. You're so very good. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to talk to you guys. Um, Penny has badgered me into this. God bless her. Um, and hopefully you get a little bit something out of it. Uh, um, in, in kind of prepping for this, I'm going to have you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I was just asking God, like, what is on your heart? Um, because it, it, truth be told, I mean, Jesse gave me a brilliant intro, but I have felt far from that man that he was describing. And I have felt far from him for a very long time. So I stand in front of you very, very humbly. Because um, I've been in a process of um, really recalibrating myself back to him. Um, so if there needs to be a title, we're going to call it re this reconnecting with first love and reconnecting with the nearness of God. Um, I was reminded like, in the build-up to this because she asked me probably a good eight weeks ago and I'm like, help. Um, so I was reminded, Bill Johnson said one time that we seek his face and not his hand, um, which was a perfect thing to remember because in the middle of this, I didn't want to seek a message. I just really needed to seek his face. Um, and it's what we're made for. We're made for his face. That was the original intent, right? That was Genesis. That was the garden. Um, we were made for his face. That's how Genesis started. That's how Revelation's going to end, right? We, we end face to face with him. And so it's not just a, it was good back then and we'll stick with him and we'll get face to face with him eventually. It's made for now. And I just want to, give you a little bit of my story, if nothing else, and hopefully you can pick up some pieces and, and um, you know, beware of the pitfalls that I fell into, um, and hopefully, yeah, this will make a little bit of sense. So, you know, in, in talking to this, he, I was like, God, what do you want me to say? And he said, just tell my story, um, which is something that he's told me in the past um, in a different sort of context, but really, um, his story is my story, and my story is his story, because he's written everything down already. Psalms 39 talks about that, right? Every day is written in his book before there was ever one. And so, here we go. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, my parents are both believers. Um, I you know, got saved, technically, at five um, in my brother's bedroom, said that prayer, and was like, God, I'm yours. Um, not knowing what on earth I was doing in doing that. Um, it was a prayer that I think my parents wanted me to pray, but it got me on the right path, right? Like I'm, I'm in, I'm going to church, and I'm doing all the things. Um, but it wasn't until about 1994, right? So I'll date myself here for you. Um, I was, yeah, 94 was probably 10 years after that. We had moved to the States in 1990. So we bounced around here, God brought us to the States. 
we ended up in Virginia uh, through a series of events. Um, and in 94, what we called the Toronto Blessing, I don't know if you know vineyard history or church history at all, but in uh, 94 came this Toronto Blessing. And I encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time. Um, and I was hooked at that point. Um, I had never felt or encountered anything like it. Um, and that was, in, that was in what we call, in our family, our exile, our exodus, or not exodus, our exile. We weren't supposed to be in Virginia. It's a longer story. If you want to have coffee, I'll tell you all about it, but it's not for today. Uh, so I came back to California, really hungry for God, landed in a church um, in, um, in Anaheim, Stadium Vineyard. And got more, more and more of God, more and more Holy Spirit. It just kept going. Um, but then somehow at the end of, in my 20s, my late teens and 20s, I walked away from God. Um, I allowed bitterness and envy, or not even envy, just bitterness and resentment towards God to enter into my heart. I had a lot of unanswered questions. Anybody else have unanswered questions? Um, forgive me, I might ask questions because I'm really not used to this. Uh, like Jesse said, this is my First time on a stage, would you believe it? Um, so yeah, I walked away from God. I, I had some unanswered questions, and I had, and I allowed that bitter root that um, they talk about. I think it's James that talks about it. A bitter root that grows up, and it just poisoned my heart. And I went to church, but I was really angry with God. I wanted nothing to do with him really, but I went out of habit. And I went because I thought, I don't want to go to hell, but I'm really annoyed at God, so I'm, I'm angry. And so I walked away from this thing. It, um, you know, and, and the more I think about it now, I'm starting to realize you know, there's this whole thing of deconstructing, right? And um, I'm beginning to get more and more convinced that those who are deconstructing are just angry with God and tearing down their faith. Not in an effort to find him in, what, in any way whatsoever, but to either justify their anger, justify their sin. And so they're just deconstructing what God has actually prepared. Um, I'm willing to be wrong on that, but that's just where I am at the moment. Anger and bitterness won't do you any favors. Um, so anyway, here we go. I came back to God in 2007, broken, very depressed, very suicidal. Um, and I was on medication, drugged up to my eyeballs. Um, anything to numb pain, I took. So be it alcohol or be it uh, antidepressants, that was where I was. Um, so I give you, I'm giving you this little backstory just to kind of help you fill in where I was. I'm going to tell you where I went, where I was, and how I got to wherever Jesse told me. <laughs> how he introduced you. I should have prefaced that at the beginning. Um, so yeah, that was 2007. I was broken. Started healing. Started meeting with some people. Met some really amazing people at church. Tom and Gigi, they are just phenomenal people. They are, if you get to know them, absolutely fantastic people. Um, they spoke into my life a lot as a youth. I was in high school. Um, and I've just met them along the way at brilliant times. Um, anyway rabbit trail. Sorry, I get like that sometimes. Um, in 2008, I started, I, I, I started a journey where I started actually chasing God. Um, 
My parents went to Toronto in, in 2007, and they came back. They were telling me about gems. They were telling me about gold dust. They were telling me about oil that appeared out of nowhere and just would continue to overflow. They told me about healings and miracles and signs and wonders, and I had no grid for it whatsoever. And I thought, you lot are mad. Um, but they said, if you want to know about it, you have to go find it for yourself because we can't tell you about it, we, or we can tell you about it, but we can't give you an experience. You've got to go and experience it for yourself. And so I went. Um, I went to Abbotsford, British Columbia, uh, to a place called, uh, to a conference called The Secret Place, um, which is a brilliant name for a conference, but it's a brilliant place to be, is The Secret Place. Um, it's what we were made for. It's what we're designed for. It's just the best place to be. It's just with God in that time, in that place where it's just you and him because that's what we were designed for, face-to-face -face with him. Uh, I discovered Bethel. I discovered conferences. I ran anywhere and everywhere I found presence. Um, anywhere I could get a touch from Holy Spirit. I was just, it, bit by bit, he started healing things. The more I ran after him, the more he encountered me. He responds to hunger. He responds to brokenness, as long as you bring it to him. What I did in my 20s was I ran away from it. I took my anger, took my bitterness, and I said, I don't trust you with any of my questions, but I'm angry with you. Whereas he's really saying, come to me with your anger, with your brokenness, with your questions, and I'll meet you in the middle. I will meet you with all of this. Uh, but foolish me, I had to learn the hard way. So we went down that path. But he's so good that he will go to the ends of the earth to, come to bring you back. And this is just part of my story of that. Um, I learned a little bit about journaling in that time. Um, it's not journaling that I, I feel like somebody needs to t teach a journaling class in presence if, if we haven't taught one of those before. Like if somebody knows a lot about journaling, teach it please because I'm still learning. My journal consisted of my, a category or, or a categorical thing of my failures pretty much all it was. It was like, God, I failed at this today, failed at this today, failed at this today. And that was pretty much what I journaled, um, which I don't think is the point of journaling, right? Like it's supposed to be, what I'm figuring out now is conversations with God, scriptures that are sticking out, um, prophetic words that you get that you can go back. Like these are things that are actually supposed to be journaled, not a catalog of your failures. Um, oh dear, help me Lord. I learned about worship. Worship is the best thing. Worship's the time when we can tell him who he is to us. Worship time where we can just come before him and just give him the glory that he deserves. He knows who he is, but we can tell him who he is. Because in doing that, it reminds us who he is. When we tell him he's holy, it's another reminder to us he's holy. When we tell him he's worthy, it's another reminder that he's worthy. These things should be said out loud whenever you can. I mean, you can worship him in your heart, but worship him out loud. 
Heaven's a noisy place. Day and night, night and day, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was, who is, who is to come. Like it's, it's holy is who he is. And in that place of worship, you, t- you find more and more of that. In that place of worship, you tend to find out just how he sees you because he comes close. And as he comes close, you realize that he's not looking at all the things that might be standing between you and him because he's already dealt with those things. The cross dealt with those things. I began reading my Bible more. It's a hard habit to get into for some, me especially. I'm, I'm, I was not a morning person. I'm still not particularly a morning person. That's the best time for me. I force myself to get up and it's absolutely worth it every time. If you're not spending time with God, you're not living. I will be that blunt. I will be that blunt with you. You are living substandard if you do not spend time with him every day. And it's not to tick off a box. How many of your friends do you spend time with? He's supposed to be your friend. He's Lord, but he's also your friend. And so every day I want to come to him and I just want to say, what's on your heart? What do you want to say today? Because I can tell him how good he is, but at the same time, he wants to tell me about himself. I listen to any and every sermon I could get hold of. I learn to discern the voice of God, and we'll get to that a little bit. But the only way you're going to learn to discern the voice of God versus the voice of the enemy is to read his word. Because his word is his word. It describes who he is, what he's like. So you get to learn his character. And we'll touch on that in a minute. I learned in that time that conference hopping is a bit like a drug. (laughs) Anyone else done that? Spiritual high to spiritual high to spiritual high, and in the middle of it, you plummet, unless you've got time with him. Conferences are good for a season, but don't make it your lifestyle. Friendship and connection is built with the daily connections. So just like life, you text someone, you call someone, you have to have coffee with someone, like... These are, you know, we don't get to figure out who God is or get to know God on two hours on a Saturday afternoon. It's the times that we spend with him by ourselves or with a friend talking about him. Michelle and I love to talk about him. Like, we'll just talk. What's God saying to you? What's God saying to you? Like, she's my best friend, and she's bringing me closer to God in the process because we get to talk about him more. It's so much fun. So grab a coffee with someone. Let's talk about who he is. Let's talk about what he's doing in your life. The more and more you talk about him, the more and more you're going to get to know him. So all this pursuit, all this, all that chasing after God, it was building a foundation in me. And it'll build a foundation in the you. The more you take up that lifestyle of, of actively pursuing him, of actively spending time with him, of, of, of making him a priority. And it's a weird thing, right? Because... I don't know about you, but I, ha- I was very prone to the performance mentality of, if I do this, then I will be loved. 
if I succeed, then I will, I will be valued. Like A's and B's, those were acceptable. C's, not so much. Like, but it translated into my spirit life. If I did this well, if I did that well, then I was loved. But if I sinned, ooh, he may stand off a bit. But isn't that like the enemy just to say, well, you've got to earn your way in. That's not the way. That's not the way he works. For God so loved the world that he came and gave his only beloved son. Right? It's not so that they could earn their way, but it was a free gift. So the difference, right? This time in his word, getting to know him. Um, can we put Exodus 33 on there? Because this is part of, part of my journey. We'll get into some more nuts and bolts. Um, of it in a minute. But this is just one of those fascinating passages, and I'm not going to give you any answers through it. I'm only going to leave you with questions. But I like it. Where are we? 33.12. You can either note it. I'm going to read it anyway. It'll get up there eventually. But here we are. Exodus 33.12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your glory now. Show me now, ooh, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the other people who are on this face of the earth. He says, show me your ways that I may know you. You can look at his act, right? You can know about his act. But Moses said, show me your ways, not just what you've done. He wants to know what's behind his thinking, what's behind the act. It's a deeper question. He wants to know the reasons. He wants to know the heart behind why. God did this, but Moses like, why? Show me your ways, not just your act. Israel was acquainted with his acts, but Moses was acquainted with his ways. That's Psalm 1037. So this is interesting. Moses is talking. Let me see if I got this right. Let's see. If we jump back to, to 33.11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp and his servant Joshua, the young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So he, God spoke, speaking to Moses face to face. 
which is an astonishing thing, right? Because down here in 33... Twenty? Twenty-two? Yeah, 3320 says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So which is it? Can you see his face? Or can you not see his face? I don't have the answer. I have no idea. But I do want to drive you to the Word to find out. Because I dug into it. And it all means face. Like it means it even in the Hebrew, it's all his face. But he says very clearly, he spoke to him face to face, but yet you can't see my face and live. I don't understand that. But the cool thing is, Proverbs 25 too says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. All you kings and queens, search it out. And get back to me if you would, because I'm love to see, I'd love to know. But that's just part of it. It's going to be part of your journey is you're going to see scripture and you're going to say, well, this seems to contradict this, right? The classic case of Proverbs, it's like, and I don't have this one, I wish I did, but it's like, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he think highly of himself, right? But then the next one says, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest he learn or whatever it was. And then so you're like, well, God, it's two verses bang next to each other that says one and then it says the other. What do I do? You've got to ask the author. It's all about relationship. It's all about getting to know him and his character. And it's in that moment that you're going to say, like, huh, okay, let's have a conversation about this, God, because really that's what we're made for. Having a conversation with him. Ask him the questions. Do not be afraid. And if you don't hear, it's all right. You're made to hear. And sometimes you just need to get stubborn and say, God, I I know I'm made to hear from you. Anything that tells you otherwise. And if, it's not, if he's not talking, maybe it's just not for now. But it doesn't change who he is. Sometimes it's a question of how badly do you want this? Because he's not a vending machine. You don't put in a quarter or scan your phone or whatever we do now and out pops an answer. It's time invested. And it, 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 he's so interested in getting to know you. He doesn't want to be a genie in a bottle does not want you to just say, let me just quickly rub this lamp. I need an answer. Thank you very much. He's not a vending machine. He's the the best person in the world that you will ever know. Just take the the time to know him. There's a concept that I want to kind of throw out at you, and it's probably too much to really dive into today, but um, let's grab you. Let's talk about it another time. Um, form versus function. Hebrew people think about function. Greek people, us, think about form, like literally. Like if we think about the hand of God, what do you picture? Massive great hand, right? But there's a function behind that hand. A hand supplies touch, a hand supplies protection, a hand supplies all these things, right? We need to start thinking more like Hebrews than Greeks. Because that's what, how this was written. And if we start thinking about it literally, this, this is how we, 
We've got to ask Holy Spirit, what were you thinking when you inspired this to be written? Because I think it's James that says all Scripture is, oh no, it's Paul that says all Scripture is God-breathed. So anybody who wants to tell you, ah, it's a whole, just a collection of books, those deconstructing folk, it's absolutely not true. It's God-breathed. It's God-breathed, it's God-inspired for a purpose. So you want to go to him and say, okay, help me, not th- help me think Hebrew, not Greek. Because I don't want to be too literal, but I do want to know the heart behind it. So when he says, my arm is strong to save, it's not because he's got a big bicep. But it's because he's there to protect. He's there to rescue. He's there to hold. There's a function There's a function behind everything that he does. So let's build this foundation, right? Foundations like, as you're in the process of building the foundation, you're gathering oil in this foundation. You're in that presence, right? In the presence, there's anointing, and it's pictured like oil. So there's this story in Matthew 25 where uh, where it talks about uh, the parable of the ten virgins, right? Five of them are wise, five of them a bit silly. Um, all good hearts, but the, the five wise ones, they had oil saved up. And this is where we get down to the, the reality of my story. Is that I had oil all these years, from 27, 2007, 2008, all those years of running, all those years of chasing after God. I got to 2019, and... Instead of going to him, my schedule changed a bit. Life got different. I started pursuing a lovely wife. We got engaged. Next thing you know, you've got weddings to plan. And so you're up late at night. And what's the first thing that happens when you're up late at night? You've got to sleep in the next day. So what's the first thing that goes out the window? Time of God. So I sacrificed on the altar of convenience my time with God. I was like, God, I'm sorry, I've got to sleep in on this one. I'll get you tomorrow. And I'll get you tomorrow turned into I'll get you tomorrow. And I'll get you tomorrow. And I'll get you tomorrow. And slowly but surely, I started to, my, my reserves, my, my gas, my oil, started to dwindle. And you, when you think about oil, oil's a fuel. You can't light a lamp with oil, but you can keep it burning. Jesus lights the fire. It's up to us to keep it burning. So you get oil. You've got to get oil. Otherwise, when life gets busy, you will run out of gas. You will run out of oil. Sorry, I keep saying gas. It's easily easily done. So all that oil was in the bank... I squandered it over the last three years, nearly three, probably two and a half. I allowed the busyness of a wedding, a first year of marriage, a pandemic, and work to get in the middle of everything, and he became second, and I'm sure it gutted him. Because like us, when we have a friend who's just too busy for us, it hurts, right? When we're just not, 
when we're making time, when we're just saying, hey, I'd love to see you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. I'll get back to you. And that was me to God. That was my, it was my friend. Like, it was time that I would spend with him. And just, it was life-giving. I was like, yeah, I'll get you later. And he's good. He'll wait. Like he's always there, but he will wait. So in the process of running out of oil, I, I started to behave differently. My attitudes changed. I wasn't as gracious as I once was because you know, when you're not around love, you don't really have a whole lot of love to give. I had a whole lot of road rage. Should not have been a passenger in my car. At some points, you would have heard some colorful language. I'm sorry to say. Not gracious. My wife was not as loved as she should have been. I was not as patient with her as I needed to be. But when your love runs low, it spills out on everybody else. Everyone else feels the effects. You start turning to other things to vent with you know, frustration or anger, be it food, be it TV, be it whatever. And so I, I in the end, I realized what I'd done. I was just like, God, I've, I've, I've forgotten my first love. I've, I've forgotten you. I come to this church every, morning, every Saturday and I worship and I could give him my best on a Saturday, but for the rest of the week, I'd be like, you know, running on fumes. In many respects, my tale is a cautionary tale. Don't do like I did. But here's what I want to, here's what I want to encourage you to do, and this is probably more than me to the message. Sorry for the very, very long preamble. I had to return to my stones of remembrance, right? Stones of remembrance. Joshua 4, 1 through 7, talks about the stones of remembrance. So let's go to Joshua. If you can, highlight this stuff, put it in your Bible, you know, put it in your app, write it down, whatever it is, but... Um, it's so important getting this stuff in you. Four, one through seven. It came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, and the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, "Take for yourselves twelve men from the uh, from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood still or stood firm. You shall carry them over." And you shall leave them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. And Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel. One man from every tribe. And Joshua said, cross over before the ark of God and the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And this will be a sign among you. When your children ask in a time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer to them that, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over from the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial. They will be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Why did God do this? Why did he tell them to set up a memorial? 
We're a forgetful people. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But if we do not put markers down for what God has done, we will quickly forget. Winston Churchill actually paraphrased and quoted another um, theologian, or a, yeah, um, not theologian, philosopher, but he said, those who fail to learn from their history are doomed to forget it. If we do not remember the things that God has done, we will forget. We, we have to set markers. Because we don't want to start f- failing the tests and failing the tests and do them over again. The things that we learn are going to build, right? So these stones could be numerous things, right? What God did, scriptures that have stuck out in the past, again, write these down, journal them. And don't write them down as failures like I did. Properly journal. Put notes in your phone app. Just write them so you don't forget. And they could be prophetic words. Just things that you can come back to to strengthen yourself when you're in a tough spot. Or even on the daily basis. Just come to God and just be like, hey, let me just thumb through this journal and be like, I got this prophetic word or I got this scripture that stuck out to me a while ago. Let me just go back to it. So I'm going to give you some of mine. Because I like to share. And this is, again, it's been part of my journey. So, um, yeah, these ones are special to me. Song of Solomon 4.9. One verse. I read this verse years and years ago. My mom told me this verse changed her friend's life in college. And so I said to myself, if it can change one man's life, it can change mine as well. It says, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. Now to give you context, this is the bridegroom. So the Song of Solomon, song back and forth between the bridegroom and the bride. It's a picture of us and Jesus. It's also a really explicit song. So you can apply it in real life. You can also apply the the bridegroom-bride relationship with God. This is the bridegroom speaking. So this is Jesus. And he's saying, You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse, my equal, in another translation, right? Sister, equal, spouse, intimate one. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. We glance at God and his heart is ravished. I challenge you to think about this, to meditate on it, and see what God does in your heart. Because when you catch the fact that when you simply glance his way and catch his eyes, he catches yours, his heart is thrilled. There's a note in the, in the Passion Translation that says that the, um, the Hebrew word, and I'm going to butcher it, libabetani, is taken from a Semitic root that means to tear bark off a tree. So when you look at him like that, it's like a layer is being peeled off his heart and it's vulnerable to you. He has made himself vulnerable to you. You can look at it like this. If you're married, dating, crushing, 
whatever you're doing, right? Like this applies in all seasons of life. Let me be very honest and very blunt with you. I've known Michelle since 2013, but it wasn't until 2018 that she actually knew I liked her. I was deep in a friend zone. Deep. Let me tell you, deep. Like if I did not know, I did not think it could be so deep. But 2013, 2013, 2018, deep, solidly locked in a friend zone. There are numerous times when I was either I was I was at a function and she was there, and all I wanted to do was catch her eyes. Because I'm I was besotted with her. Absolutely besotted with her. And all I wanted to do was catch a glimpse of her eyes. Uh, she used to live at a, um, we had, had some friends' house that, that she used to live at a house out in Santa Ana. And um, she said, well, um, these friends own this house and they were remodeling it, uh, doing some tenant improvements, all the rest of it. They were building a wall. And my friend Kevin said, hey, do you want to help me bring the wall, build the wall out in the back garden and do some landscaping over there? And I said, Absolutely. She's going to be there, and I'm just hoping for a glimpse. Like, she wasn't going to be out there digging, you know, doing any of the improvements. But I was like, I will be in the vicinity of where she lives. So, hopefully, she will be there. And sure enough, one day she comes walking out in a very nice sundress. looking stunning, mind you. And so I said to her, I said, wow, don't you look pretty? And she said, yes, I'm on my way to a date. (laughs) (sighs) So when I recovered, I got back to building a wall. Years later, we were at the mansion all those years ago. And I mean, I came to presence, truth be told, because of her. She responded to a Facebook invite saying, I'm going to day one of this church. And I was like, well, at least I'll know somebody. So I came. And from then on, every Sunday, I would just hope to catch her eyes at the end of the church or catch her eyes at the back of church or something. But it's something like this, that when somebody is in love, you just hope to catch their eyes. And this is God's heart for you is that he just wants to see your eyes glance towards his way. During the day, turn your heart to him, whatever. It takes just a few minutes and you thrill his heart. Just a moment's glance and go, Lord, God, it's, you know, it's lunchtime, but I love you. It, he thrills his heart that you would turn your affections, your attention to him. Just sit on it if you want. I camped on this for a month and it changed my life. See how much he loves you. <laughs> Psalm 139, it's a brilliant one. I've given this Psalm 139 in, um, okay. Oh, I'm not doing too bad. Yeah, try and wrap it up. <laughs> so Psalm 139, I was given this when I was in high school. Um, it was one of those prophetic acts where people just put scriptures in a hat and then you pull one out. And I was given Psalm 139. And so I went back to Psalm 139 because it, br- 
It brought me on a journey. And the beautiful thing is, is the older you get, you're more curious you get. So you start digging into the word more. Psalm 139 is, is basically divided into three sections. There's three, six, well, there's actually more than 18 verses. But there are th- uh, it talks about the, um, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, and the omnipotence of God. Six verses for each one. But I'm talking about, in this, in this case, I'm, I'm looking at the omnipresence of God, right? Because he's always with you. And this is what I needed to come back to. Because I thought I had run out of oil and I had nowhere else to go. And so I was going back and going like, where did I feed? Where did I get life from? Where, what gave me life? So here's, here's Song of Solomon that's going, every time I glance his way, he's thrilled. And I'm letting that stir up the flame in my heart again. And I'm just dwelling on it. And I'm going back to 139. And let me find it here. <laughs> Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, or the place of the dead, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Again, think, function, not form. Think about who he is and what his presence is like. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light around me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. He is ever present with you, no matter where you go, what you do, what you say. His presence is right there next to you. When you get saved, his spirit becomes one with your spirit. That's in Corinthians. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He is one step away from you. And lastly, Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is right next to you. The Passion Translation has, has translated this um, part as your wraparound presence. It's a beautiful picture of his protection, his embrace, your wraparoundness. You can have confidence in his presence. So really what I want to encourage you guys to do today is learn partly from my mistakes Let God light the fire in your heart. But you need to get oil to keep it burning every single day. I'm not going to get into legalism and say, oh, you failed if you miss it a day. God understands. But prioritize him and make him your best friend. It's why he made you. It's the original intent. It's the garden. It's Genesis. Face to face was the original intent. And we have to remember that. In the end, we'll be eternity with him, face to face. Why not have some of that in the meantime?
Get to know the one that you're going to be spending eternity with. It's what you were made for. We're not supposed to just endure and then get raptured out of here. We're supposed to thrive and know him in the process. You don't want to get to the door and have him go like, who are you? That to me is the most, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Depart from me, I never knew you. I don't want it to be, I, I want it to kind of shock you, but at the same time, I, I don't want it to just be like, okay, I'm going there because I don't want to, you know, the opposite. There's an invitation to know him and to be best friends with him. And set up those memorial stones, set up those stones of remembrance, create a history with God that you can go back to. If you lose your way, go back to the well-beaten path. It's another uh, verse in, um, in Song of Solomon chapter one. It talks about how will I know the way to get to you? And it says, follow the footsteps of the, of the others. Sometimes it's friends that'll help you along the way. Reach out, do not suffer alone. If you get off track, go to the memorial stones. And the last thing I want to say, just he is closer than you think. He's so very, very close. And if you just think about that and just dwell on that and just go like, God, you're, you're so very close. It'll change your life. It'll change the way you see yourself. It'll change the way you see others. Because right next to the person next to you is him. Right next to the other person is him. He is absolutely everywhere. And he loves absolutely every single one of you. That's what I got.